Hello everyone and welcome to In Squash, episode 73. I'm your host, Jerry Gibson, and uh, today we have Christopher Gordon on the podcast. And uh, before we uh, get into uh, this episode, I just want to apologize to Christopher. Uh, we recorded this episode several weeks ago, uh, shortly, maybe about a week after his appearance in the Bankers Hall Invitational in Calgary. I reached out to him during that event and we had a great chat. But uh, as we all know, the nonsense from the Paris 2024 Olympic Organizing Committee came down and I wanted to uh, follow up on that and get a few get some uh, insight into uh, into that situation and I got those episodes out there and uh, now I'm going, going to put out the uh, this episode with Christopher we had a really good chat about uh, his career which dates back uh, many years he was a top uh, the top junior in the US I had a great junior career and then uh, proceeded to have a very very good career as a professional representing the United States on several uh, occasions uh, winning a national title winning several PSA titles, and he's still got a lot to look forward to, as you'll uh, hear on the podcast. Um, he's looking to uh, perhaps win another national title or two. He'd love to see that happen. Uh, he'd like to maybe even uh, pass his uh, career high ranking of 44 in the world. Uh, right now he's down to maybe in the 70s, the mid-70s, so he'd like to, uh, like to get back up there to the top uh, 50 anyways and maybe win a few more PSA titles. Uh, he's got the Pan Am Games uh, coming up this summer, so uh, hopefully he'll be re representing the U.S. Uh, in that one as well. Uh, so we have a lot a lot to talk about, a great career, uh, and still a few more years to go before he hangs up the racket. He's only in his uh, early 30s, so uh, I think he's, as he mentioned, uh, healthy, fit, and ready to uh, to put in the time to, uh, to make inroads going forward. So really enjoy uh, talking to Christopher Gordon on this podcast. I know you're going to enjoy it too. Episode 73. Hey, Chris. Hey, how you doing, Jack? Hey, hey, how are you? Sorry for the, uh, really sorry, for, sorry for being late. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. It's, it's, all, it's all good. It's all good. You're, you're in Chicago uh, now or heading that way, uh, I would imagine. No, I'm actually uh, nope. I'm actually in New York. I'm I'm not playing the World Open this year. My ranking's not quite high enough for me to get in. So right. I'm just training now for the next couple of events in um, in March. Okay, okay. I, fi I figured you they might have uh, had you up there doing some um, some squash TV stuff because you'd done some really good stuff in in the past uh, for squash. Oh TV. yeah, no, thanks a lot. Yeah, no, I haven't. I haven't really done done much squash TV in the last couple of years. But in the in the early days of it, I did a lot with um, with Joey, and that was that was a lot of fun. That was you know, it was it was a real experience to say the least. Yeah. Well, uh, why don't we just get started here? I mean, uh, I'll, I'll just by way of introduction today on episode seventy one, uh, we have uh, a current uh, world number seventy nine, but he'd reached. Uh, up to uh, number 44 in the world in 2013. Uh, he's a former U.S. national champion, five-time winner on the PSA Tour and 10-time finalist. Christopher Gordon. Chris, uh, great to have you on the podcast. Uh, thanks so much, Jerry. It's a real pleasure to be here with you today. Yeah, and, uh, you know, I, I'd always thought of reaching out to you. In fact, I, I reached out to uh, one of your uh, compatriots, uh, Chris Hansen, and uh, just got, uh, you know, sort of dropped the ball there. But I always had the intention of uh, getting, uh, you know, having you on. And then Bob Ballinger, good, uh, my friend uh, from way back in, in Canada playing uh, junior squash, uh, he said, uh, you know, Chris is playing here again uh, the uh, Bankers Hall uh, event. He hasn't been here for 10 years. You better ask him about that on the podcast. Yeah, I know. It's pretty, <laughs> it's pretty amazing um, how it goes full circle on tour, you know. Um, you know, I went to Bankers Hall years ago when I was, I think I was 21, 22, and it was, um, it was you know, it was, it was one of those smaller events you used to try and kind of springboard yourself to get, get up the rankings and and uh, and it's a great event because um, Bob does a great job in terms of getting getting awareness about the event at the club and getting a lot of spectators down. And he's pretty clever in that the club's downtown Calgary, so it's a lot of a lot of 
office and business people. So he puts on two sessions for every every day. There's a lunchtime session for people who have you know a bit of free time during the middle of the day at work, and then there's an evening session. And I think it really um it really helps just get spectators down, keep keep people engaged from the first round. So. It's definitely a cool event, and I was really happy to get back there after so many years, you know? Yeah, well, Bob was saying, um, he was telling me the last time you were there, it was uh, absolutely freezing cold, and uh, again, this uh, this time around, uh, the the weather didn't really cooperate, so I was wondering, I guess that that's sort of appealing to you, is it, the, the cold weather? Uh, well, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, like... It's it's northern. It's you know it's getting fairly far up there in in Canada. So you want the full experience, right? You know, Absolutely. so if you're, you know, if you're if you're if you're going north, you might as well go all the way. That's you know. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. And you're you're big uh, from what I gather. You're, you're a big hockey guy as well. So uh, while you were there, did you catch any? Uh, you're more of AHL. Uh, I grew up with the AHL uh, being from Halifax, yep. the, the Nova Scotia Voyagers, uh, and then I think they changed name wow. at some point. But uh, we had some yeah, great, no, big, great players back then. Uh, Steve Penny, I don't know if you remember him, goalkeeper for the Wow, team. yeah. Yeah. Yep, I remember that name. Yeah, definitely, yeah. No, a big hockey guy. Uh, I actually skated last night, played a little pickup last night, so that was a little bit of cross-training. Okay. And um, when I'm in Calgary, I... I try and go to the WHL games. So I went to see, did I see? I saw the Hitman, the Calgary Hitman play, play the Moose Jaw War. That was, that was pretty cool. And was that the I, Calgary I really hit, junior. The Hitman, did you say? Calgary Hitman. Yeah, the Hitman. Awesome. That's the okay. WHL team. Okay. So. Yeah, back, had, I, just, had, I just remember major. back in the day, the AHL was just, a, it was like a, it's like the wild, wild west, you know. I mean, these guys. So you had yeah. some some talent, but then you also had some real goons out there. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think with all those, you know, minor leagues and major junior leagues for hockey, it's all it's always exciting stuff to watch because the guys are real hungry to get, you know, to climb the ranks. Hopefully, you know, eventually get into the NHL. So it creates a lot of you know, a lot of mismatches and there's a lot on the line for these guys, you know? Oh yeah. And it's not an easy life. They're, you know, riding the bus all the time, you know, especially in the WHI West, it's a lot of, you know, big bus trips. So these guys really want to prove a point every time they get out there. So it's a lot, it's a lot of fun to watch and yeah. actually really relatable for what we go through as squash players. Yeah. I, I never thought of it that way, but that, that makes sense. I get the, the, uh, the movie Slapshot might've been sort of uh... a, <laughs> written based on uh, that type of uh, the sort of AHL, WHL type hockey. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. That's a classic. You got to have brother. that DVD on your shelf. <laughs> yeah, the Hanson brothers. Yeah. But uh, anyways, we digress. Uh, I mean, the, the pro-am, Bob's pro-am there that, that you just returned mm -hmm. from, I think you, you got through the first round and then fell. I mean, it's always going to be tricky, isn't it? Because as Bob mentioned, uh, mm -hmm. I had him on the podcast. He said every year there's always one or two guys who the following year end up in the top 20 and you never see them again. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really, it's, it's just really indicative of, of the way the tour is at the minute, just the depth is really incredible all the way, you know, from, you know, from the top 20 in the world, all the way down to 200 in the world. I think, you know, maybe 10 years ago, what was going on, you would have a lot of, you'd have maybe the top 50, top 100 who were full, all full-time squash players. And then everyone else was, you know, sort of semi-pro with a lot of people would have coaching jobs and stuff like that. Where now pretty much everyone is full-time and everyone's training, training hard. So it really means every time you step on court, you need to be uber prepared for, for anything that's coming, you know? And when it's as deep as it is now, it means guys are going to be really hungry because it's competitive. So that adds a whole nother, you know, a whole nother level of having to bring your A game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, just so many young guys there and guys from, uh, from across the globe seem to uh, come for that event. I mean, you had a Finnish guy, a Welsh guy, uh, yourself, mm -hmm. uh, a couple of Canadians. Um, and, uh, uh, maybe uh, uh, who ended up winning that again? Um, I forget. Who. Uh, a couple guys from Hong Kong as well. Oh, that's right. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah. Yep. I mean, the Hong Kong guys are actually firing on all cylinders. They've got Chris Robertson uh, uh, coaching them up over there. Yeah, and I think that yeah, Chris Robertson definitely definitely is you know helping bring some bring them along. Um, I think they've just got a great a great little moment at the minute culturally with the sport. You know, Leo Howe is doing so well. Uh, Max Lee was doing incredibly well. Now now you've got um, Yip on the scene, and when you've got a you know a couple really really good players, it's going to help bring the next generation along because. They're going to grow up watching this high level of squash. And then as they start getting better and start competing, they're going to have to be finding solutions to compete with those older, better players. So I think Hong Kong's in a great position because it's essentially a city with all these players in a small, small, you know, easy to move around space. I think you'll see more players coming from there, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. It's a nice, uh, I mean, the, the way they have it set up over there, like you said, it's kind of small, cozy. All the courts seem to be in that mm-hmm. one little area, uh, yeah. a big facility as well. But uh, so you, you got back to Calgary, uh, Chris, and, and what brought you back? You mentioned full circle. So you, you saw this event, uh, the Bankers Hall on the calendar, and uh, you thought, well, um, you know, I might as well give that a go again. Or uh, what was your... Well, I haven't been able to I haven't been able to play it for many years because it was always on similar dates to the Tournament of Champions, which is in New York, and the qualifying for it has always been at one of my home clubs, so it was one of my favorite events and the kind of important I played. Um, but the dates for the Bankers Hall tournament this year were a little bit different. It was a little bit later in the year, and there wasn't there wasn't really anything in the States conflicting with it. So it was, it was a really nice opportunity to kind of go back somewhere that I hadn't been in years and just kind of, I've always enjoyed playing in Calgary. I've enjoyed, you know, Calgary as a city and just to get to play an event that I, that I'd been part of as a young, young player on tour, it brought back a lot of memories and just kind of, you know, made you think about how long you've been doing it and how much you enjoyed every step of the process yeah yeah definitely um and and being around those young guys uh, again i mean it probably brings back memories for you as well and then having uh you know to step on court and uh you know try try to i mean you're not in the i wouldn't say you're in the twilight of your career but you're approaching it mm-hmm. you want to give it one last mm-hmm. uh, you know few years here to uh, maybe perhaps even get past that 44 that you reached in 2013 no 100% I'm I'm really motivated and I'm you know I'm in a good I'm in a good position physically um so I think I think there's no reason I can't get another you know another four or five years on myself and it it would it's really exciting with where the tour is going to basically be able to keep um keep pushing on and keep playing and keep being involved and you know, I think events like this are great for me because it's a, it's a good measuring stick to see if I can if I can go through multiple rounds and hopefully win them, and it's a good opportunity as well to um, just see see where some of the younger players are going with things and and think about how I need to how I need to to improve and change my approach to remain relevant and in the modern game. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Now, uh, if you don't mind, Chris, uh, I'd like to uh, take a look back. Uh, if you, uh, a mm-hmm. little bit. Uh, now Absolutely. at a very young age, uh, I, I read uh, that you, you had it in your mind that you wanted to be a pro squash player. That was your destiny at a young, maybe 10, 11 years old. So there must've been, mm-hmm. must've been a few driving uh, influences, whether they be uh, your, your parents or coaches or something else behind uh, that desire that, that, uh, that you had at a young age. So perhaps uh, who helped you, uh, who helped stoke that fire for you during those uh, younger years to keep you on, on the path towards a pro uh, squash career? Honestly, a lot, a lot of it, believe it or not, came from myself. My first dream as a little, as a little, really little kid was to be a professional hockey player. And, you know, I loved hockey. I played a ton of it. And eventually I kind of got out of it because my mom was a little bit worried about the, some of the concussions and some of the rough stuff that goes she wanted, on. She wanted you to have those nice white teeth. 
Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So <laughs> I got in, my dad got me into squash and I really enjoyed it because the squash club I played at was two subway stops from our house. So it was easy to get to. There was a lot of court availability. So I could, you know, pretty much hit any time. And I love the fact that I could, you know, fly on my own, you, you know, doing solo practice is, is very feasible as a little kid because the ball comes back to you. So yeah. there was never any kind of red tape to being able to play. And then as I started getting better, the thing with the game that, I, that really attracted me to it was just how quick it is and how many different dimensions there are in terms of the tactics, strength, speed, you know, there's a lot, there's always something to keep your mind occupied. Right. Right. So combining that enjoyment for the game and knowing inside myself that I'd always wanted to be involved in sport and play sport at a professional level, it was really a matter of just kind of settling on which sport. So squash kind of became that by default. And then probably the biggest, the biggest um, influence in my really early career was my first coach, Richard Chen, who actually we've gone full circle again and he coaches me now. Okay. Yeah. I noticed um, that uh, uh, he, on one of the websites it's updated that you, that he's your, your coach. Yeah. Currently. Yeah. And he, it, he was really important in, in sort of, firming up my love of the game and also also demonstrating to me like just how important it is to to play play a lot of matches how important it is to represent the u.s how important it is to play for your country when i when i started playing he was playing for the u.s and pan am games and world team championships and it made a big impression on me like i remember um, as a you know 10 11 year old kid every time he'd go to a world team championship or something, he'd always save one of his USA shirts for me. Okay. So even to this day, I, I still have them. I still have, you know, several USA shirts from back in the nineties from when he was, he was playing for the U S and that, that was really a really important kind of motivation and demonstration to me of how important it was to, to push yourself to that next level and keep being hungry. Yeah. Uh, yeah, definitely. And, uh, and you you had a, an impressive junior career in the U.S., didn't you? I mean, you you, you won several age group tournaments. Uh, you competed overseas representing the U.S. Um, but one mm-hmm. win one win in particular stands out to me. Uh, it was when uh, it was your German Open win in uh, two thousand four yeah. over uh, Simon Rosner, who at the, uh, as we all yeah. know, top five player in the world. Looking back at that now, uh, what? I guess Simon, obviously he's improved since then, but uh, looking back at that mm. now, what, what, uh, what do you remember about that match in particular that sort of may, maybe in your mind may, made you think, you know, you, you can uh, achieve uh, some good things in this game? Uh, I mean, that match, was, it, was really, it was really important because Simon was, Simon was a very good junior. You know, he was always very gifted with a racket and, you know, very tactically astute. Um, and it, at that time in that era, there weren't really a lot of Americans playing international events and there were even few Americans, especially boys winning them. So yeah. for an American to get a win, a win at a, at a foreign event, again, you know, against a player that was considered a top, you know, a top European player was was a really big confidence um, confidence boost that not necessarily that I a top player, but that I was in the mix with them and that I was I was capable of competing at that level and with that quality of players in you know anywhere in the world basically. Like it wasn't like I could only produce a good result in my own backyard wherever, you know, where the stars aligned kind of thing. Right. Like I could I could go pretty much pretty much anywhere actually what would be considered his home turf and still be be able to play play a good enough level to to win so i think that it gave me a lot of confidence that the work i was doing at that time was the right stuff and i was on i was on a trajectory where if i kept going and kept dedicated and disciplined that i could be a successful professional yeah 
And also, uh, I, I'm not, correct me if I'm wrong, but that, that, that might have given uh, U.S. squash a bit of, uh, injected a bit of uh, confidence in, in the junior program as well, because as we know, there were several, I mean, Julian uh, Illingsworth and then, uh, uh, you know, Olivia mm-hmm. Blatchford, other, other juniors who, who went on, have gone on to have perfect, good professional careers, stuff like that, where you're competing well overseas and winning, uh, winning tournaments, that's going to be, uh, that's going to be infectious, I would think. I don't know if you remember at the time. No, uh, absolutely. It was. Yeah. I, I think the thing the thing was at the time, U.S. squash wasn't quite as organized to the extent that it is now. So right now, it's it's become a professional organization, and it's really focused on producing good players, um, producing strong national team, and um, and and this, and. Back then, it was a little bit more. It was a little bit more collegiate focused, collegiate focused, and um, and it was just a little bit more. Uh, it, was just, it, it was a little bit less performance oriented. If that makes sense. Right. Yeah. So results like this were nice, and people recognized them, but it wasn't. Um, it wasn't maybe looked at in the same in the same light that it would be today where they'd look at it as, Oh, that, that a win like that is a building block. Well, today, I mean, something uh, bigger British and better. Open, British open juniors. I mean, uh, all the rage was how well and how strong the U S juniors looked. Uh, yeah. The U S the U S junior, the U S junior scene now is extremely impressive and the, and the structure behind it and the pathway they're creating for them is, is, is really very good. And, and I think it's just the beginning because with the national center going in, in the next year or two, that's going to give us squash a lot more flexibility in terms of the kind of programming that they'll be able to run and hopefully be able to develop even more kids at an even higher level. Yes, absolutely. Now, um, now, also, just in terms of your, you know, once you uh, started playing PSA, you, I mentioned earlier you you've had five wins mm-hmm. uh, on the tour, uh, ten finals. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, looking at the wins, uh, just myself looking at, at the list of wins, I mm-hmm. I, I might imagine that uh, your win in New York City might uh, hold something uh, special in your heart. Uh, is that the case out of out of the five that you've won? Uh, with that being perhaps uh, the most memorable, or is there one of the, those others that uh, that holds uh, something more special for you? Um, I think two of two of them were pretty special. The one in New York City was was re- unbelievable because it was the biggest one. Um, it was at home. It was a little bit unexpected, maybe because I think I came into the tournament seated five to eight somewhere like that. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but that, that year and specifically that 2013, like everything seemed to be clicking and a lot of things went right. So I was, I was in a really good place, place there. Um, I think the one that was the most emotional one for me was probably the first one in Japan, okay. just because it, it's always getting your first title is always difficult. It's getting over that line. And I had gone through a little period where I'd shot up the rankings as, as a teenager and then kind of plateaued. So it felt, it it felt like a little bit like I had been banging my head against a brick wall for a while. And that win in Japan, especially with it being so far away, um, felt just felt like validation that, the work I was doing was starting to pay off. Yeah. And that if I kept, um, that if I kept, that was that in I kept Yokohama, pushing, that right? maybe Yokohama? Yeah, it was in Yokohama yeah. just out. Yeah. Just outside of Tokyo. Was, uh, at the so, Yokohama club or was it the, uh, another facility? I think I don't, re- I don't really remember the name of the squash club. Unfortunately, okay. I remember it was like a specific, squash facility though it wasn't like a big yeah it wasn't like a club with you know tennis and gym and everything it was literally four squash courts really good one of the courts was you know two glass walls kind of thing it was it it was a really nice intimate squash club right on 
right on. No, I might uh, imagine though that perhaps the the biggest victory for the biggest win, uh, not talking tournaments, mm. but maybe the biggest win for you was a, a world team championship match where you clinched it uh, to to beat um, Malaysia, I believe. Yeah, last year. Yeah, that was yeah. Um, that was that that was that was pretty that was pretty special. That was pretty that was pretty special. Um, um, because Ian Yao is, was obviously world junior champion and was, I think at the time he was in the top 50 in the world. And just those times playing for the U S throughout my career have always meant a lot to me. Um, so I was really, um, I was really happy to be able to produce a result that in a deciding match against a quality upcoming player. Yeah. Not only that, on Malaysia, that actually, Malaysia has over the years been uh, been per, perennial uh, top ten at least. You know, better than that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So it was it was one of those where it was um it was it was one of those where it was like you knew you were capable of doing it, but but to actually do it is something that you know certainly made you feel really good and really positive about what else you potentially could do if you kept working hard yeah absolutely and um and the the reaction of your team and and yourself after that win uh, was that, that i believe it was the highest uh, ever finish for a u.s team was it not no second highest second we finished high. um we finished in paderborn a couple of years ago we finished i believe six right yeah we okay. finished six in paderborn I mean that's still yeah. uh, that's still great. Uh, six, and then last year was uh, ninth. Was it ninth or? Uh, yeah, ninth or tenth. Ninth yeah. or tenth. Yeah. So yeah. great results. Now uh, you mentioned, mm-hmm. uh, I think it was in 2015 that uh, squash in the U.S. was sort of going through a, a renaissance period, uh, and this mm-hmm. is coming. Uh, I guess basically we could say it's come to fruition now. Uh, in terms mm-hmm. of what's going on, uh, back uh, I'm Canadian, so uh, back mm-hmm. in the, the mid '80s, the late. Well, I'm a J- of the JP era, and before that, uh, Cap yeah. has always sort of been in that border skirmish at that time, uh, mm-hmm. uh, a, a bit better than than the U.S. But I think it's definitely, especially on the men's side, it's it's reversed, and and on the women's, uh, but it, there's a bit more parity there. So in terms of that renaissance mm-hmm. that you referred to. Uh, do you see it now as sort of just really taking uh, shape? Renaissance in US Yeah, style? I think it's in a, it, it's it's in a really it's in a really healthy spot here in the states, and I think um, I think what's what's really good is I think in the nine in the nineties and early two thousands, a lot of the growth was driven through through college squash and through um, people's enthusiasm to get their kids into colleges. So that kind of helped you know club clubs have higher demand and stuff like that mm-hmm. where I think what's kind of transpired in the last five years is U S squash as an organization has grown and become so much more structured and so much more developed in their vision and, and potential of what kind of programming they can deliver. That well, I, know, a lot of, I know that the CEO of U S squash, uh, Kevin Clipstein, I mean, when he took mm-hmm. on that role, uh, he was just a young guy, not relatively young, yeah. but he, you know, squash player himself. Um, and I, I think he, having spoken to him many years ago, he always mm-hmm. seemed to have excellent ideas and always, you know, very positive and yeah. forward thinking. Uh, yeah. It's no coincidence, I guess, that since he's uh, taken on that position, that uh, things have been uh, been happening in the U.S. For, in terms of uh, the Renaissance. Yeah, well. and. And I think what's what's happening now is a lot of a lot of the growth of the game is being driven through the national organization, which is healthy because it's it, it's providing a more national view, and it's starting to be able to connect some of the dots between, at least on the elite end, between the juniors, the very young juniors going up towards the under nineteen juniors that are going to World Junior Team Championships and stuff college players and then making it more acceptable for college players to become touring professionals. Mm-hmm. So, cause that was always a little bit of a tricky thing here in the States is, is 
convincing athletes coming out of these elite Ivy League schools with really good degrees and good potential of, of well-earning jobs to sacrifice that for a couple of years and play on the tour, you know? Yeah. But with U.S. squash involved and backing it sort and helping create a pathway for them, it makes that decision just a little bit, a little bit easier, hopefully, and a little bit, a little bit more of a smoother, smoother transition for those players. Yeah, um, and I was all, I was going to say too. I mean, back I guess back when you first came onto the scene, there were a few sort of uh, big name um, uh, coaches and players who had you know moved from overseas to the to the U.S. Chris Walker. Mm. Being, being one of them, but now, yep. now it just seems like, uh, and this is where maybe the college scene is having mm-hmm. an impact on, on the national scene. You've got so many, I mean, you've got, you know, the list goes on, you, uh, Palmer, Lincoln, mm-hmm. um, uh, Martin Heath, uh, uh, you, ne- you probably several more, David Palmer, uh, I said that, but yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I don't think that it's a coincidence that they're also over there now and not only are they involved in collegiate squash, they're actively involved in the community, I think, too. A hundred percent. The level of expertise that's over, that's come to the States is just unbelievable. I'll, I'll give you a good example. Mm-hmm. I, and this, this isn't a, I'm not a hundred, a hundred percent sure on this, but I'm about 99. So when I turned pro when I was 16 or 17, I don't think there was a current top 100 player residing in the tri-state area. Right. Now, we fast forward 15 years, we have, you know, myself, Chris Hansen, Ryan Koskelly, Vikram Malhotra, um, Rami Ashore, Chris Binney, um, you know, and then other players popping in and out. It's just like, there. There's so many, you know. I, I sat down with the president of New York Squash about a year ago and we made a list of all the current twin pros, top college players, and recently retired top top PSA players that live in this area, and we came up with about 30 names. Yeah. Well, I, it's just like it's astounding the transformation that's taken place in such a short period of time. Well, what you, uh, it seems to me maybe this is by accident or, if, or it could mm-hmm. be a coincidence, but uh, what they have in Europe, and you know this probably mm-hmm. you played over there in the PSL, but they have this, these leagues and the coaches over mm-hmm. there as well where everybody sort of will congregate and live and uh, play out of, mm-hmm. out of uh, London or wherever, wherever. But if they can replicate yeah. that kind of thing in the U.S., which they seem to be able, seem to have been doing uh, a bit of late, uh, then the, the same quality is going to, uh, going to be generated, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the way we can replicate it is demand for coaching. So there's always, there's so many young players that want coaching. There's, there's always demand for foreign coaches over here. The league thing is sort of the next thing we need to unlock. Um, New York Squash has had an initiative the last two seasons to to start a league and it's it, it's been it's been pretty good it's 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 good to get it out there and get it going but it you mean a psl type quite, league? sorry a psl yeah type yeah, yeah 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 yep similar we've got about six teams i think four to six teams and okay it's kind of it's a round robin with a final um it's it it's it's going in the right direction it's going to take a little while to to get it up to the level of Europe. And the issue isn't, the issue isn't so much lack of demand. The issue is more just the way our club structure here in New York is, is a little bit different to Europe. So it's, it's difficult to find ways to monetize it. And, you know, because you're dealing with a lot of private clubs with their own, each one with their own unique set of rules. So it's difficult to create a level playing field in terms of, you know, purchasing players and stuff like that, you know? Well, I was talking, uh, I think it was Martin Heath, and we were talking about this very mm-hmm. thing. And, um, like, there seems to be a, a period of time on the tour where the all the events are in the U.S. 
somewhere mm-hmm. in, in the same general vicinity and also perhaps maybe Montreal, mm-hmm. Toronto, Boston, Philly, mm-hmm. New York. Why not uh, mm-hmm. make more of an effort to maybe get these events closer together on the calendar and then put together like a fully fledged uh, like PSL type thing like that? Yeah, there's definitely, I mean, there's, if, if, if it could be figured out how to get it off the ground, it would be very exciting, you know? And I right. think, um, I think it will come to fruition at some point. I think there's just so much movement at the minute in terms of the game growing here that yeah. it's a matter of figuring out which is the most important challenges to, to get after first, you know? And I think that thing is just, not that it's not important, it just potentially isn't the most important of, you know, what, what some of these clubs and, you know, regional bodies are dealing with. Well, it sounds like you guys, uh, what, what, what sounds promising, though, is you, you've planted the seed in New York with the league that you mm. seem to have off the yeah. going already. So, you know, that, that'll catch some, uh, some attention and perhaps that'll spawn uh, something bigger and better. Uh, absolutely it's it's one of those things as long as you have your as long as your foot's in the door you can slowly push the door open you know but if the foot's not in there it's tough to get it open yeah now um chris i was really impressed when i when i read a bit about your uh, and i'm not sure how far along you've gotten with this or how much progress you've made but with your uh, uh public outdoor squash court initiative changing uh, the old the outdoor handball courts into uh uh kind of squash court type facilities. I thought that 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 was an amazing initiative on your part in terms of trying to broaden the the scope of the game and make it more, bring it to the masses. Um, How's that initiative going for you? Is it still uh, something you're working on? So I'm actually no longer involved with public squash, Um, but it's an incredible initiative. It's a very cool concept because we have about 2000 of these, handball courts around the city and some are very well utilized others not so much and it's just a nice way to be able to potentially offer more um more sports to the new york city public and help grow awareness of the game um good news is the public squash foundation managed to get their first court erected down in the Lower East Side last summer, and I heard it. I heard it had pretty good utilization. I, the pictures looked great. I went down and saw it one or two times, and it was. It looked really nice, and seemed to be seemed to be holding the structure. Seemed to be holding up really well. Um, I went down on kind of a kind of a misty, light rainish day, and it still it still was. It still was maybe not perfectly playable, but no reason you couldn't get out there and hit a few balls around. And I think that's yeah. a positive thing because that's, that's always the thing people are worried about is when conditions are not suboptimal, will it be able to hold up? Um, and from what I've heard, which is really exciting, is they've been approved by New York, by either the Parks Department or another park and rec group to put in their second court in Brooklyn right on the East River in All a right. facility in kind of a, in, in a covered sports facility, a facility that has covered basketball courts, covered handball courts, and a covered roller rink, and then maybe some bocce courts or something. So apparently they're going to be allowed to convert one of the handball courts to a squash court. Brilliant. Okay. So, you know, and I think the thing with, with that, with the first court, even though I was no longer involved when it, when it got erected, it, it was a very important project, not just here in New York, but actually globally, because it demonstrated that it, demonstrated that it is feasible to bring squash completely to the masses, you yeah. know? Well, all and you need is a front wall and, uh, uh, you know, just... Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And, and, that, and, and it also demonstrated that it's okay with our sport, that our sport's strong enough that you can think outside the box a little bit and yeah. alter one or two things that we as, you know, passionate players consider essential. 
but they're actually I mean, vehicles that, that slightly it this way, Chris. Uh, when you go out and play mm-hmm. ice hockey on a frozen pond, it's not mm-hmm. not to spec, is it? Exactly, a hundred percent. That's yeah. a, that was exactly where where we were going with it. Yeah. And but it's one of those things. It's squash is so purist, and there's so many amazing facilities around that I think a lot of the squash population kind of didn't re- didn't really realize that there could be a demand for just squash that maybe wasn't as pure as we know it, but it was still squash. Yeah. No, definitely. Uh, and you can see, you can see it even in the pro game, the way things are developing mm. now, everyone's sort of got their own little thing going. Uh, the, you know, squash TV is fantastic. It's bringing it to the masses. Yep. Um, the personalities on the tour, the the technology that's being used, it's really sort of, you know, in that regard too, it, it pushing the envelope. Oh, a hundred percent. And I'm not sure if you saw it yesterday. It was announced that Squash TV and PSA signed a partnership with um, Facebook Video. So okay. now the early now the early rounds of all the all the World Series events are going to be streamed free on Facebook. Oh, which really? you know blows it up even more because yeah. you know through people liking and sharing. Well, you get on. I, mean, I was on there the other day. Uh, I forget which mm. uh, which tournament it was. It was uh, oh yeah, the the British Nationals, and that was streamed live. Uh, and uh, we were, I was on there talking to everybody. I mean, uh, we we'd be debating lets and strokes, and you know, uh, with the mm-hmm. video review and stuff. It's just a great not only in terms of seeing the matches, but a great place to talk squash and, and uh, it's only going to get better. Yeah, no, I think, I think squash as a whole globally is in a really exciting position. Um, PSA has been innovative, especially with the squash TV. Um, they've changed around with the draws now, making it all main draw there. You know, it, whether you, whether you're a fan of some of the changes or not, at least they're, trying different things to see how they work. Then they also have that challenger tour too, which is great. Yep. A hundred percent. And I think, I think the thing we're all, we're all kind of waiting to see is and holding our breath about is the Olympics. I think that's the one that really could blow everything open and change really may start to mainstream the game potentially. Yeah. Well, it really does look like, I mean, in terms of the package that they put together and uh, in terms of where, you know, being in, in France and, and what they need to do to fill the, the sports that they need to fill, that we've got a gender pay gap uh, issue, which is, which is great for squash, the international flavor of the game, the ability to, uh, mm-hmm. to uh, build or just put a court anywhere. So the, the, uh, and that, that, that cost uh, efficient as well. A hundred percent, a hundred percent. There's so, there's so many positives for it. You just hope that um, some of the political murkiness that goes on with any major sporting event doesn't, doesn't get in the way of, of it's the scary what thing, it could it? potentially, <laughs> yeah, what could it, what it could potentially do for our sport, but then also what it could add to the Olympic program. Cause it's, it's, it's actually, I think as much as we want it in, it's also actually an enhancement for the Olympics in terms of their offering of something unique that you can set up sport in an iconic location with potentially a winner from a non-traditional, what's considered a non-traditional Olympic country makes it really exciting and very engaging globally. Yeah. I I couldn't agree more. Uh, Let's just hope let's, let's see how it goes, but definitely the package looks, uh, or the bid looks, looks solid, but it always has, you know, recent. <laughs> so. Yes. Yeah. Yes. No, it, 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 the bids recently have been, have been really nice presentations. Um, yeah. this particular one, the video looked great. Just the, a lot of the teasers are giving, having players send out on Twitter and Instagram look fantastic. So, yeah. you know, I, I liked guess what the best they did we could do is uh, fingers crossed. I liked what they did also with the junior players, the international uh, flavor uh, of that that they presented, uh, which was great. Yes, yeah. And I think that's really, you know, especially with the Olympic movement seems to be really focused on youth activity and the, what the next generation is into. 
I think highlighting how globally diverse we are, especially on the junior circuit, can only can only help pull on a few of the heartstrings. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Now, Chris, you've been tremendous with your time. I know we said about thirty minutes, and now we're uh, we're well well over that. But I, I do need to ask you uh, before you go what what do uh, what do you have upcoming? You said you had a couple so, of so yeah. Yeah, upcoming. I've got I've got about three weeks here in New York training, um, and then I head up to Winnipeg to get a little bit more cold in Canada. Oh, yeah. that, that's probably and, uh, the coldest yeah. province in the country, uh, right there, Manitoba. Absolutely, but oh. the the one saving grace there is the club there has a fantastic steam room, so we will be able to stay warm. <laughs> is that the Winnipeg Winter Club? Uh, uh, no, not the Winter Club. It's um, the Winnipeg Squash Club. Okay, yeah, it's yeah. A, a block or two from the Winter Club. Okay. So, um, and then the week after that, we've got another 10K Challenger Tour event in Boston. Okay, and then follow that up at the end of March with U.S. Nationals. Oh, good. Oh, good. Uh, you, won, you, you won back in 2013. It'd be great, yeah. great to, win, to, to get a second under your belt. You've got a few young bucks. Uh, and, uh, I mean, U.S. squash right now, you, you've got, uh, obviously, Todd Harity, Chris Hansen, uh, some other young guys as well there. So uh, you'll have your work cut out for you, but definitely you've got your eyes on the prize, I would imagine. Absolutely no. The the strength at the minute, the depth is very is very good throughout. Obviously, the pro the pro guys are playing really good squash, and then the college guys are really pushing it to the next level. Andrew Douglas, Spencer Lovejoy, Timmy Brownell, and then there are a couple other ones as well. It's it's definitely a tough tournament, but um, I haven't won it for a couple of years, so it's um just playing it like I'm coming in as the underdog, like I was before I won it. And Bit of I'm a chip on the to, shoulder. Yeah, going there to just see what I can do and hopefully hopefully get myself first. First, I got to get myself back in the final and then really enjoy it. And hopefully I can get everything to go right. You know, I'd, I'd, love, to get another, I'd love to get another one sometime before I retire, you know. So, you know, there's no reason it can't be this year. Yeah, definitely. Well, Chris, I want to wish you uh, all the best in that endeavor and uh, keep up the good squash, keep up the good fight and uh, love to have you on again soon. Love talking squash with you. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Jerry. It's been a great chat. Well, thank you so much, Chris. That was a lot of fun. And uh, as I mentioned earlier, just want to wish him all the best uh, going forward. He's got uh, several good years left. Uh, Pan Am Games coming up this year, U.S. Nationals, looking for a second national title and a PSA professional career where he could uh, where he could hopefully uh, find his way back to the top 50 and uh, and beyond uh, getting up his previous best uh, world ranking was 44 in the world so uh, good luck to Chris uh, going forward and hopefully uh, we can have him back on uh, to talk squash um, to talk uh, Pan Am games uh, squash uh, before that event and uh, well, I just uh, want to take a quick look at the World uh, Open draw, which uh, now we're into the semifinals. <coughs> and uh, <coughs> yeah, the semifinals are, are today. Uh, and the timing is with the new rankings coming out, the March 1st rankings. Uh, Ali Farag is now the new men's number one. Nothing really has changed at the top of the, the heap for the women, but uh, Noor uh, El Tayeb, she moves up to number three in the world. And uh, Camille Serm, uh, I believe, up to number four, and Joel King falls to, uh, to fifth. So at the top of the rankings, uh, change at the men's with uh, Ali taking over number one over uh, Mohamed El Shabagi. So wondering how that's going to play out. I've been, uh, you know, thinking about the, the semifinal there. We have Ali uh, going to take on Simon Rosner. Simon's played well up to this point in the, the World Open, obviously, to get to the semi. That's his. I think his best ever showing was uh, he hadn't even reached the quarterfinal of the World Open until this year, so he surpassed uh, those expectations, but I'm sure he's looking uh, to go even further than the semi here. He's got his work cut out for him. Ali's playing, I think, the best squash of his career right now, so um, he'll certainly be the favorite heading into uh, that match. And on the other side, um, I'm a bit torn with this one. I mean, obviously, uh, Mohammed's going to have the... Uh, 
you know, having lost the number one ranking, he's going to be all fired up and, and uh, ready to go uh, and try to, to win this World Open just to prove a point. But um, at the same time, I think Tarek Moman's playing some really, really good squash right now. And he, he could very well uh, pull an upset here. In fact, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to call it right now. Uh, Tarek will pull the upset tonight. I could be wrong. Uh, of course, uh, like I said, uh, Mohammed's going to have a lot of uh, a, bit, a huge chip on his shoulder, uh, having lost that uh, number one ranking. But Tarek is playing at a level uh, much like Ali, playing I think his best squash of his career. So, some really uh, interesting semifinal uh, matchups there, particularly the uh, Sherbagi. Um, uh, Sherbagi moment match, and then potentially uh, the match between the number one and two players in the world, having just uh, swapped places, that that would be quite intriguing. But also, I think Tarek's got something uh, 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 in store for Mohammed, and he's playing some good squash, so that should be a really good uh, semifinal. On the women's side, uh, we have Nora El Sherbini. She's up against. Uh, Camille Serm, that'll be a great match. Camille's playing well, Nora's playing well, so that's a toss-up there. Obviously, uh, Nora El Shabini is uh, the favorite heading into that match, but Camille's always shown that she's uh, more than capable of, uh, of winning those matches as well. On the other side, another great uh, rivalry, so to speak, I guess, uh, Renim El-Balili and Nora El-Tayeb. That'll be uh, fireworks from the beginning. Uh, two players that you know we all love to watch, and uh, equally as exciting, equally as a, a, you know it's a great matchup there. So, two semifinals really worth watching on the women's side as well. So, uh, should be great uh, semifinal matchup night tonight uh, on uh, Squash TV. Okay, everybody. Well, that's uh, that's about it. I really appreciate you guys uh, for listening and sharing and. Uh, contacting me with your suggestions and for, uh, for your suggested uh, uh, follow-up guests. I've got some good ones coming up uh, after this one. I might take a, you know, a bit of a breather. I've put several out in succession here, so I uh, might take a, a week uh, off before the next one, but uh, stay tuned. We've got more coming. Really appreciate you listening, and thanks, uh, thanks again, everyone. Enjoy your squash, and uh, have a great day. Goodbye now.